Hey, what's going on, y'all? This is Mega Ran, creator of songs such as Avalanche and Infinite Lives. You are now listening to Adrian Has Issues. Turn it up. Maybe you'll learn something. Peace. Hey everybody, welcome to Adrian Has Issues. We're back with another awesome episode. And I think today is really special because uh, today's guest has been a, a longtime supporter of this show. And matter of fact, it's through this guest that I was able to connect with so many other creators. And one thing I do love a lot is video game music. Anytime I get to talk to anyone involved with the production of said music, it's always a treat. So with that said, today's guest is Jason Napolitano, who is the owner and founder of Scarlet Moon Productions. Uh, and if you are not aware of them, well, one, you should be. <laughs> and two, they are a music label, PR firm, and artist group that specializes in gaming music and arranging game music. And it spans from AAA titles to independent games. Uh, some of the artists that you have represented have been like uh, Vince DiCola, who... A lot of you uh, geeks out there will recognize as a composer of the Transformers the movie, and also Norhiko Hibino, who's the composer of Bayonetta and the Metal Gear Solid series, Hitoshi Sakamoto, the composer of Final Fantasy XII, one of my personal favorites, and Valkyria Chronicles, and also another one of my favorite games, Secret of Mana. Jason has also co-produced a collection with another composer, Lena Rain, who is the composer of the game Celeste, a really great indie game. Together, they have co-produced uh, a title include Prescription for Sleep, which is the seventh installment of the popular franchise. And Prescription for Sleep Celeste has actually charted on the Billboard New Age and Jazz charts. So between the two of them, the aforementioned Norhiko Habino has performed saxophone on this, as well as Ayaki on a piano. And the two of them are a duo titled Gentle Love. So like this is a great collection. And so we're going to get into all that today. But please welcome uh, Jason. Jason, thank you for joining me. And again, it's finally nice to meet you, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. Like I said, I have, of course, known of you through email and text for so long. Like when I heard your voice, I'm like, all right, now you're officially real. <laughs> yeah, I'm not just a Google algorithm. <laughs> I mean, you might be, but if you are, you're one of my favorite Google algorithms. I'll say it that way. <laughs> Well, there you go. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, we've been in touch for a while, and it's exciting to get to talk to you myself and um, talk about some of the stuff we're doing with Prescription for Sleep. Celeste is a game that jumped up on my radar not too long ago, and I've been hearing a lot about it. So it was funny, just as I started picking up, then I was made aware of the collection. So I thought it was kind of kismet when he sent this my way. So before we get into that, though, um, very quickly, though, I kind of wanted to get at least a little bit into your sort of backstory as far as creating Scarlet Moon and what you've accomplished so far. You know, I'm just probably like a lot of other gamers out there. Well, maybe not. I, I am a big fan of like RPGs and Nintendo games. So I've been playing those since I was probably my kid's age before school age. I was playing Atari and Nintendo and all of that stuff back in the, the mid 80s. And I've um, always been a fan of games, always been a fan of game music specifically too. And when I was 18, uh, I had a friend from high school who was, uh, he told me he was going to E3 that year. 
And that's the, you know, everybody knows what E3 is now. Uh, but yeah, I said, man, how'd you get in there? How can I get in that? And he's like, yeah, I'm writing to this website. I write a couple articles. I write some reviews and then I get to go to E3. And yeah, I can bring you in and you can write some things and you can get in there too. So I started writing for this website that existed only to get into E3. And uh, my first review was of Metroid Prime 2 Echoes on the GameCube. Uh, yeah, that review is still somewhere out there um, on a website called Ent Depot. But anyway, um, I was writing. And as often happens, you know, I was there to get into E3, but I wanted to do more with what I was doing and wanted to interview some composers. I always made it a point to talk a lot about the game music for the games that I was reviewing and, you know, wanted to do more features and things. And that wasn't really compatible with what that site was there for. They were there to get into E3. So I uh, left that site, started writing for a website that was focused on game music. So I started writing game music um, reviews. From there, founded my own nerdy music blog back in 2008 with a friend and composer that I now represent, Dale North. And uh, we found an original sound version, still around originalsoundversion.com, as a nerdy music blog to cover game music and anime and chiptunes and music techniques and all this other stuff. And I ran that site for a good five or so years. And Dale, meanwhile, who I'd co-founded the site with, um, was writing at Destructoid back when they first started. And uh, by the time 2011-12 rolled around, he had become editor-in-chief of Destructoid. And we had always had this grand idea that OSV would get purchased by Destructoid and be their official music channel. But it didn't look like it was going to happen. So he said, hey, why don't you come over and uh, be the music editor for Destructoid? And I said, oh, okay, well, I guess, you know, I'll get increased access because, you know, it's a big site. I can get bigger interviews and yada, yada, yada. Right. And so I was at Destructoid for a couple of years. I had a music feature called uh, Noteworthy, which was like a soundtrack roundup each month. And we had a um, podcast called The Sound Card. No, that was a feature. It wasn't a podcast. It was just a feature story. And so what happened with this feature story was it was like, it was one of those clickbaity top 10 lists kinds of things but it was all game music oriented so you know we had done like a top 10 game music tracks to sleep to and top 10 game music tracks to take to the gym and over the years of writing and being into game music and keeping in touch with the composers and asking them what are they working on can i write about it can i review it all of these things they would always come to me and say hey especially these, these composers in japan they'd come to me and say hey you know do you know any other it's great that you're writing about me on these websites do you know of any other websites that would write about me is there a publicist who can get me out on other websites is there an agent who can get me more gigs outside of japan is there a record label who can release my music since the publisher of the game doesn't seem interested in releasing it and i'd always refer out to the one or two people who were doing that in this space Right, and they would come back to me, you know, and say, "Hey, nothing really came out of uh, that that contact. You put me in touch. You know anyone else?" And eventually, there was kind of a critical mass of so many people asking me that that I saw a need, and um, decided to strike out and start this company, and you know, focus on game music PR. So PR for composers to get the word out, especially for these Japanese composers. Some of these guys who worked at Square Enix and whatnot would leave the company and start putting out solo albums on Bandcamp and they'd have 10 sales and you'd be like, really? Like this is the guy who did, you know, whatever awesome Square Enix game from the PlayStation era and nobody's buying their music. And if people knew it was there, they would buy it. Right. And so that was a part of it. And then, you know, again, the music that some of these people were writing that wasn't released 
you know, like uh, Vince DiCola who had done uh, Saturday Morning RPG and that soundtrack hadn't been released. And one of the Korean composers I knew had done Monarch Heroes of a New Age, which was this huge MMO uh, that didn't get the music released. I, I saw, you know, I said, hey, can we look into releasing this for you? And then the last piece was the composers who wanted to work more outside of Japan or wanted to work more in the indie space. That was the steepest curve because, you know, when you're when you're a journalist, you're trying to know all the PR people. And when you're doing the record label and you're doing the PR stuff, it's more direct to consumer and knowing the journalists, which I kind of already knew having been in that background. But we start getting into the um, artist representation and uh, you really need to know the developers, right? And so uh, that was completely starting from scratch. And, you know, I'm really appreciative of these composers who, you know, were friends. The roster of composers we work with are really friends. And taking a chance on me and giving me the time to kind of get up to speed. And it's been a wild ride. But for me, you know, being a huge fan, it's, it's, it's really cool to be able to uh, find work for some of these composers and hear it for the, before anyone else. You know, that's kind of like a, a fun little perk of the job. Oh, yeah, I'd probably lose my mind. And you touched on a few things, and it kind of leads into what we'll be talking about in depth uh, in a little bit. But, you know, the idea of filling a need or filling a space when it comes to these composers, I mean, video game music or just music in general is such an integral part of so many different things. Whether it is like games, film, television. It's not just, you know, soundtracks for the sake of sound. Like, a good soundtrack can either make or break a game. And even if, let's say, for instance, it's a game you're not even a fan of, like, there are plenty of games that I played and maybe I wasn't a big fan of, but their, their themes will still carry on with me for years. And and in a way, they almost become kind of larger than life. And I think it's a reason why now bands can actually tour and perform this music and garner an audience because like i said like these are the composers of some of the most iconic games you know especially when it comes to like you know like rpgs and things like that how would they have such a hard time making sales because you you would think well who you know people should clearly appreciate this music you were a fan but you also cared and you treated them as equals you know professionally so i think that's really important that you put that work in and you put in that work ethic to, you know, and you showed them, it's like, look, I'm not just a fan who's just, you know, here for the sake of cloud. Like, I really think your material is important and it's worth putting out into the world. Yeah, it's pretty interesting when you think about game music in general. And you think about other disciplines that kind of go into making a game. And there's so many people that you need to have to make a game, right? But you think about who do people who play games and gamers really follow from a creative standpoint? I mean, yeah, there's going to be you know, some game producer or director that's a superstar and everybody knows who it is and you're going to go play that next game uh, that Kojima makes because he made the game. But outside of uh, those people, what other disciplines are, you know, are you really following as a fan? And composers are one of those groups of people. I, I mean, how many artists are you following? Uh, you know, I'm going to go play that next game that the artist from this other game made or coders or, you know, all these other disciplines that go into making games. So it's always fascinating that these composers kind of develop their own fan base independent of the projects that they work on. I can't tell you how many times I've gone and played a game solely because, you know, Hitoshi Sakimoto was doing the soundtrack. Absolutely. And sometimes the games are good and sometimes they're not so good. But uh, it's funny that that's the gateway. You know, the, the, a good example and is this uh, 
you know, um, Celeste is a game that I, I'm terrible at these kinds of games. I would never like <laughs> seek out this kind of game because I'm terrible at them and just be frustrating. But I had heard some buzz about the soundtrack. This is back in February 2018. Listened to the soundtrack a few times through. I said, wow, this is incredible. Why? I've done this multiple times. Like Nier is another example where I listen to the soundtrack over and over again. I'm like, why is this so good? What is the context for this music being this incredible? And then I go back and play the game. And those are two examples where, you know, Celeste and Nier, where I really enjoyed the game after the fact. But yeah, that's kind of what got the ball rolling for this particular album is is uh, following the music and and seeing, you know, then, then secondary, go and play the game. So I don't know how many other people making games in different disciplines can really claim that they drove people to the game because of this element outside of the game. And of course, the weirdos like us, we follow the music and it's like, oh, yeah, I forgot there's a game to this. Oh, yeah, I'm not great at this. <laughs> like, I, I don't profess myself to be like a, a good gamer. I enjoy them immensely. But yeah, um, there's a reason why I probably wouldn't start a Twitch channel anytime soon unless you'd like a lot of people <laughs> laughing at me for dying so easily. Well, I mean, I beat Celeste, but I, I definitely didn't get all the strawberries. Oh, well, congratulations. You, you definitely got that one over me then. <laughs> huh. Uh, so... Prescription for Sleep, Celeste. This has been a long-standing series with Scarlet Moon. Uh, you've done uh, Secret of Mono, we mentioned before. Uh, you've even done like a, a holiday rendition of this. How was it then that you made the move to do the collection along with Lena Rain and Gentle Love? Well, thanks for asking that, because I was kind of alluding to the origin story of Prescription for Sleep game music lullabies earlier when I was talking about the uh, sound card top 10 article I wrote on Destructoid about the top 10 game music tracks to sleep to. So I had written that article and I picked my 10, you know, tracks for sleep. And you know how it is with those articles. Everybody chimes in with their comment about you left this off and this one you picked sucks and you know, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And so, but you know, it was nice. There was like 150 comments of people saying this song and that song and yada, yada, yada. So when I started the label, and we wanted to put out some soundtracks to games that hadn't had released. I kind of said, oh, wouldn't it be really cool to produce my own like arrangement album? And I'm really big on game music as a lifestyle. So, you know, there'd be forum posts and whatever. What game music do you guys listen to for, you know, the holidays? Or what game music are you listening to for the gym or sleep or whatever? So I said, okay, well, maybe I can take uh, an album series and uh, make it about some sort of lifestyle um, thing. And so sleep was where it started, mainly because that article was so popular. Right. And I said, okay, well, let's do a game music for sleep album. Who do I want to have as the talent working on this? Because you can go a lot of different ways. Um, Norihiko Habino, the, he's best known for is the Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater guy. Um, but he's worked on a bunch of stuff at Konami over the years. He kind of had this midlife crisis where he wanted to help people with music and heal people with music. And knowing that he was doing that and not working in games as much anymore, I kind of wanted to bridge that gap. I knew that he was recording this as this duo, Gentle Love, in Japan. They were doing charity tours after the tsunami that happened in 2011. And it was just super healing, you know, saxophone, piano, largely jazz improvisation. I said, wouldn't it be really cool if I could get them to do these, like, jazzy lullabies for this series? And so we were trying to figure out what to name it. Um, I reached out to him. He was he was up for it. Um, I picked the songs, and he creates some note charts, and then they take it into the studio and record it a single day. It's pretty amazing how quickly the things come together. But uh, nice. we, were, we were trying to figure out how, what to name it. And um, 
I wanted to call it, I don't know if anyone's going to get this reference. Um, I wanted to call it, um, I feel asleep. <laughs> nice metal gear. There you go. Yeah. So you got it. Perfect. So yeah, the, one of the first lines in the original metal gear is a, um, poorly translated or localized English phrase. Um, it's like, are you kidding me? Like every day when I open for work, like that's the phrase I often say out loud. <laughs> and it's kind of a cool litmus test of, all right, the people around you, if someone gets it, you kind of already have like an end. It's like, okay, you got this. So everything else would be cool. Nice icebreaker. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, so I'm glad you got it. Um, I, I felt like it was kind of like maybe it, it's a funny name, but it, it doesn't really like classy. It didn't really feel like a, jazzy lullabies album so a friend of mine actually said hey why don't you use the prescription for sleep uh trademark that habino has it's actually a, a group um, called mission one that developed this app for the iphone in the early days of the iphone that habino had recorded the music for um it's called prescription for sleep and it combines like soothing visuals and his healing music to kind of relax you and get you ready for bed. And it was a top selling app in the health section of the, you know, the uh, iTunes store for uh, a, a while. And it was nice. sold in Malaysia actually as a physical CD with a melatonin sleep supplement. Wait, what? Like, can you wait? Hold on. Can you do that? Is that actually allowed? I guess in Malaysia, you, you put some melatonin in there, you include the CD and now you're ready for sleep. Could you imagine like someone at like Sony Records doing something like that, or like even like a local independent label just kind of putting melatonin in like a sampler CD here? I don't know. I feel like it'd definitely be a way to get some buzz out there. Yeah, I mean, you could sell it at like Seven Eleven and right, you know, any like convenience store. Just put it on the shelf there, ten dollars. You get some melatonin, you get some soothing, soothing jams, and you're good to go. Which so, on the record, um, I'm not suggesting anybody do that necessarily. I mean, at least don't put my name on it. I'm just gonna just clear the air. <laughs> well, I mean, melatonin's pretty, you know, mild and innocuous. You're probably not gonna get hurt. We don't even know if there's anything in those tablets because they're not even regulated. You know. Well, that's what I'm saying because you know it'll start there, but then someone will take it a step further yeah. and it'll just escalate into something weird. And I'm like, yeah, slippery slope. Yeah. Ambient and, and prescription free sleep CDs. Um, it was prescription for sleep and to differentiate it from the app, we called it game music lullabies. And, uh, we did the first album with sort of a proof of concept. And here's the fun thing is I took some of the songs I had in that top 10 article. And then I took some of the songs that the readers had suggested as, you know, Hey, you forgot this one. So like for a good, I can just call it out. Donkey Kong country, um, aquatic ambience Ooh. was a destructoid commenter suggestion for a track for sleep. And I said, Oh yeah, that's a good one. And I pulled that from there, uh, from the comment section and, and recorded that. So the first album was kind of a proof of concept. We picked songs that were kind of already sleep inducing and dreamy and did a, you know, jazzy lullaby album of it. Um, and it worked out. And then the second volume was a little more challenging. I had kind of like an ambient song. I had the DuckTales moon song in there, which who would turn that into a lullaby uh, and then the third album was the um, Prescription for Sleep Lullabies of Mana, which is all Secret of Mana songs. And that was mainly because I kept wanting to include Secret of Mana songs in every volume. So I said, let's just get them all out of the way now. And then the um, fourth one was, I think that was our charity single. So we did a um, charity single for late Nintendo president Satoru Iwata, 
who I was a big fan of, and I was hit really hard when he passed away. Yeah, that that still hurts. Yeah. So we created this charity single that's an Earthbound on it theme. And then um, Hibino-san also had a, a musical mentor who had passed away the same year, also of cancer. So we made it kind of a dual tribute. And we oh, donate the entire proceeds from that single every year to the American Cancer Society. And then we did our first physical album, which was Prescription for Sleep Undertale, which also charted on Billboard. And then after that, we did a, a fun concept album called Prescription for Sleep, Fight for Your Dreams. That was one of my favorites, along with the mono one. That, that's a great one. Like I said, the first album was a proof of concept. They were already sleep-like songs. The second one, a little challenging. This was like the ultimate challenge for Gentle Love. It was all battle themes turned into lullabies. And so uh, that's Fight for Your Dreams, and that was a lot of fun. And then we just did uh, we did a remaster of the first album because we, we found out that listening to them all side by side, um, the volume levels were pretty low compared to the other volumes. And then we just did Prescription for Sleep Celeste at the end of last year, and that charted on Billboard, as you said. And that was uh, that's, how, that's how we got there. How we, how we got to that album specifically was, um, you know, again, I mentioned that I listened to the soundtrack probably in February of 2018. And GDC was coming up, which is Game Developers Conference in San Francisco in March. Right. And so I reached out to Lena Rain and said, hey, I've been enjoying the soundtrack. Um, are you going to be at GDC? We should meet up and talk. I don't know if you're familiar with our album series. And she said, yeah, I am. And so I said, oh, well, let's talk a little bit. And so when we met, we talked about the series. She said she was a fan. And I said, well, what would you think of uh, a Prescription for Sleep Celeste album? And she said, that would be awesome. So that was, uh, that's how it all, if she had been like, oh, I never heard of it, or that sounds okay, or, you know, whatever, <laughs> it probably would have never happened. But she was really into it. And um, so we ended up co-producing the album together. And we're already working on some of the next volumes that are going to be coming up. Yeah, it was funny, because when we released this last one, there was a press release we put out for it, you know, of course. And Gama Sutra has this feed where they just post, they dump all the press releases from around the internet and whatever. But they put like a little summary sentence, like a one-liner. And it said something like, uh, if you didn't fall asleep after the first six, then maybe you need to talk to somebody or something like that. So, uh, you know, I guess the ultimate goal is we should probably have like eight to 10 hours of music that you could just put on a Spotify playlist and sleep to. But then, you know, you don't want, you want some variety. So maybe we need 20 hours. I'm, who knows when we'll stop? I guess we'll stop when it's, it's not even really, you know, a huge money-making venture. I don't know how familiar you are with the music industry, but stuff's moving to streaming, right? Uh, which everyone knows you get fractional pennies for, um, per listen. So really it's a passion project for us. And, Habino-san and I are both content as long as we uh, break even on all our recording and design work and whatever. And people are enjoying it. And we, we, we get those emails and comments that, that people study to it, that it's helping people through a hard time, you know, all that stuff. It really makes it worth it, independent of whatever monetary, you know, compensation you get for doing it. I will at least attest to this in listening to the Celeste Prescription for Sleep album, this is not an endorsed comment. It actually works. <laughs> it works very well. We need to put a disclaimer. Do not operate heavy machinery while under the influence of prescription for sleep. Um, because me, I think I've, I don't know if it's the music itself, but it's been part that, but probably because I've listened to it so much like while sleeping that now if I'm on the freeway or whatever, sometimes you want to unwind and you put it on and sometimes I'm just like, all right, I have to change it. I'm going to fall asleep. Yeah, it really does what it says it's going to do. But all the while, though, it's not going to put you to sleep out of boredom. 
music is always in the background, even when I'm just doing menial tasks. But, you know, I found myself starting to brainstorm a little bit on certain projects, and it really is a great study tool. Like, I found myself just really enjoying it. And then going back into the earlier volumes, it was like, man, like, this is a really cool idea. Where is this going to go next? You know, anyone who's doing anything creative, you know, even when you look at the movie industry or, you know, TV shows or whatever else, you kind of get tired of the same thing over and over again, right? Like, right. Yeah, we see this in games all the time. Mega Man 11, Drag, you know, Final Fantasy 15, and all these sequels and, and things. And so, you know, I was cognizant of that when I was on the series. And you know, Volume One, Volume Two, you know, how many times can I say Volume 10 and people still even care? Um, so that's why I had this kind of grand vision. I said, okay, we're going to do one based on a game. We're going to do one that's this crazy concept album, and then maybe we'll wrap it up with Volume Three. But then Undertale kind of dropped into my lap and that was a huge success so i said okay i guess maybe people do care about hearing this we're just going to keep going and having fun with it and yeah it's we're already working on potentially two more this year and we'll see where where those take us and that's got to be wild too you know the fact that you have had two collections so far that have charted which is I, i think a pretty awesome testament of just how well it's being received any like standout track that would be for the uninitiated one to present to them and say, this is sort of what encapsulates, you know, the Celeste arrangement? Oh, the Celeste. I was, I was thinking the series overall. Oh man, I think like from the first volume, I think the one that really resonates with people is the Donkey Kong Country Aquatic Ambience track. Um, it's so soothing. And, you know, the original track was too. The second album, I think what really distills down what the series is about is probably the DuckTales song. It takes this kind of bubbly, poppy original song and makes like extends it out and makes it so smooth and relaxing. And then you get to the fight album. Oh man, there's two songs on there that just the Mega Man boss theme, Mega Man Two boss theme, which is track two on the album, is just exactly what this series is. If I had to pick one song that I think a lot of people would know, it'd probably be that one. And then the Super Metroid one just makes me laugh whenever I think about it, because are you familiar with the original song that that song's from? It's Mother Brain. No, I actually never picked up on that. Oh, you should go hear it on YouTube. It's a, it's just it's just like this repetitive. It goes. And then there's like this screeching and an organ and it's like repetitive and, and uh, really harsh. <laughs> and they they totally took it and messed with the timing and made it like an upbeat, silly song out of it. It's just it's <laughs> it just makes me laugh every time I think about that arrangement. And then getting to Prescription for Sleep Celeste. The track selection was largely, you know, me distilling down the tracks into probably about 15 or so selections. And then I went to Lena and said, hey, what do you think of these? And she kind of provided some input about, you know, some that she thought I could lean towards and, you know, maybe not this one. And and then ultimately what we did, I don't know if people, um, anyone listening was able to take part, but uh, we had her put a poll up on her Twitter feed and it said, we, you know, we, we hadn't announced the album or anything. It said, which track would you like to see a Japanese game composer arrange? And the three choices were First Steps, which is the first stage theme, Scattered and Lost, and then 
there was a third one. It's one of the ones towards the end. There's kind of a couple ending. We did Exhale, but there's another one that's kind of um, around that same area, which I think that was the third option. And I figured First Steps was going to win. That's the first, you know, stage theme. I figured it'd be super popular, but actually Scattered and Lost was the fan pick. Um, so that was a lot of fun. That was the first time we've been able to pull fans to let them choose a track. They didn't know what they were choosing at the time, but, um, you know, I, I thought that was a lot of fun. In terms of what's on the album, I think people are always going to immediately jump to the most popular songs. And uh, Reflections is probably the most popular song, I think. And, you know, it, it's kind of split. The tracks sort of evolve over the course of the, the play because that's as the game, as you progress through the areas of each stage, you know, more intensity, things happen, the songs change. So she kind of made a nice little progression through her composition. Uh, as presented on the soundtrack to kind of encapsulate that entire experience of that stage. And so the two halves of Reflections are pretty different. So we had Habino-san split that into two separate performances, and we had Lena actually offer up the subtitles. You know, it's uh, Reflections Dream and Reflections Chase. Right. And so she came up with those kind of, that's, that's neat to kind of have the composer name the segments of her own composition kind of thing. So that was really a nice treat. And then um, my two favorite songs on the album are really In the Mirror. Are you familiar with that one? I did enjoy um, checking in a Scattered and Lost. Yeah, that should be expected, I guess, since fans voted on that one. It's really <laughs> well. I guess I just got my vote, even though I didn't actually, you know, participate in the original one. But it's like crap. <laughs> you got me. You got me pegged. So there's the song "Quiet and Falling" that plays in the mirror. Is "Quiet and Falling" played in reverse? Son of a <laughs> real! I <laughs> that is incredible. If you listen to the original soundtrack track for In the Mirror, yeah. it is quiet and falling in reverse. And I'm not sure, there might be some added elements on top of it from there. But um, it, what's really interesting is there's these voice snippets recorded by Lena that are also in reverse. So if you flip In the Mirror around, not only does it sound like quiet and falling, but there's also speech and voice stuff in there. It's really fascinating. You can find a video on YouTube that kind of details all that stuff. So, you know, since I really loved In the Mirror, how do I include that on a live jazz improv album? Right. And so rather than, you know, it sounds really fragmented and the timing is really weird because it's the other song in reverse. So what we literally did is we had them record Quiet and Following, then save it and then play it back in reverse and recorded a violin on top of it. It turned out really well because it was, it was hugely experimental, right? Jazz often can be, which I think is why I think that's such a great idea because so much of it is improvisation. And now knowing that, that is a really incredible factoid. Well, the funny thing, too, is that Materia Collective just released Celeste Piano Collections. And it's more of like a classical tradition piano arrange album. And they did In the Mirror, but they literally did a transcription of the really wacky time of the notes because it's the other song in reverse and it's almost like a true transcription it's really impressive that they went that route because i was like how would you do this how, how can you do that song since it sounds so weird and they in in, in the arranger uh really did a good job with it and then my absolute favorite from the soundtrack is uh, a track called heart of the mountain that's another good one Oh, yeah. I love that song. It's kind of like an extra episode on the end of the game um, that you don't really have to play. It doesn't add a whole lot to the story or anything. It's kind of like a bonus stage, let's say. 
And so Leno was actually saying, yeah, you know, you could probably omit Heart of the Mountain. It's kind of like a side thing. This, you know, I don't think the song's that popular. And I was like, really? It's my favorite song. Like, I have to put that <laughs> on there. And, you know, if you read the liner notes for the album, and there's a, an addition to the physical edition that includes the book, the 20-page the booklet that has the liner notes in it, if you buy it on Bandcamp or iTunes, you get a digital booklet that has that same commentary. She, she even says, you know, oh, I think I'm most impressed with Heart of the Mountain because it was a track that, you know, I didn't think really resonated with a whole lot of people, but hearing their take on it is just incredible. There's so much feeling and emotion in it. Those are probably my three favorites. And that, you know, I guess that kind of ties into the original source material, which ones were my favorites. So, you know, as often is the case, I think, with arranged album projects. But also notable was the this is the first album we've had where we introduced a third performer into the mix. So it's Gentle Love and Maiko, who's the violinist who's performing on this. And you can see some really crazy videos of her doing improv violin stuff on YouTube. But she did an incredible job on the album, adding that kind of classical richness. Right. Yeah, so it was, it was really kind of the first time we'd done that. And it was a lot of fun. I don't know if it's too early to say, but do you see yourself you know, doing more collaborations like that by adding some more uh, musicians to collaborate with Gentle Love? Um, we've thought about it. And uh, the short answer is probably no. It's kind of a case-by-case basis. I think Camino kind of made the creative decision this time that I'm going to bring in a violin player too. And he admitted later, I think it's in the liner notes too, that um, he apparently had some dental surgery Oh, uh, and, and hadn't fully like stabilized his saxophone sound. So he wanted some help. So that's how the violin got into the mix. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but no, like um, there's a big fan of the series and a player that we're a big fan of too. His name's Doug Perry. He does a lot of xylophone arrangements and stuff. You could find him around the internet. We thought it would be really cool to have him do uh, something with Gentle Love at some point. The issue is that Gentle Love's in Japan and, and everyone else is here in the, you know, the States in terms of the talent that we work with. So right. it kind of makes the logistics hard. He said maybe Kickstarter, but yeah, it's possible. You know, it's a case-by-case basis. We'll see what happens. I like the idea that it happens organically. And from maybe like a label perspective, it would be easy to replicate certain things if you know that they do well, but they may not always be the best choice for what the project needs. Yeah, I feel like when you're trying to replicate something, it's almost always going to be, you know, money driven. And so for us, it's more just, you know, what's the natural, like you said, how can we fall into whatever it is that we do naturally and, and work on the projects that, you know, we're really passionate about the music and you know, fortunately for Undertale and, um, you know, Celeste, there was kind of stories behind the games that really resonated with even even Mana, right? Secret of Mana. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That storyline. That God. resonated with what Habino-san is trying to do with healing music, right? So right. for Secret of Mana, you could say it's, um, you know, Mother Nature and, you know, healing the planets and, and these kinds of things. And Undertale, it's determination and you know, uh, trying to be together with family and those kinds of themes. And then Celeste, you know, you really had kind of self-discovery and self-acceptance and um, those kinds of things. So the original track that's on the album is we always, we try to tack on an original song onto these albums by Hibino-san that kind of interprets the theme, overall writing theme of the the game that it's from and uh, is an original composition kind of inspired by the themes of. So this one is called Solemn Acceptance which is, you know, a nod to 
uh, in this game, Celeste kind of accepting that her other self, even though it's seemingly bad, um, together they can achieve things that neither one can achieve on their own. So accepting yourself and learning to love those parts of you that you might perceive to be bad parts. But it's interesting you should say that considering, you know, Ayaki's worked on Persona Q, and something I know about the Persona games is it plays on a lot of those same themes about how that other side of you that you want to, like, do away with, it is a part of you, and accepting the good with the bad is something that plays heavily in those games. So it's kind of interesting that, you know, it also relates back to this as well. That just means we need to do a Persona album. Okay. The phrase, shut up and take my money, may be overused, but there's no other way to say it, because I will gladly put down cash, like, right now. Do you want to do, like, Venmo, Cash App, what do you need? What do you- <laughs> I don't know, start, a, um, start a, some sort of, like, petition. It's really important for us to, what we found after doing Lullabies of the Mana was that, you know, we did that uh, as a kind of like a fan arranged project and, you know, they're getting the royalty payments or whatever, but it wasn't done really in conjunction with Square Enix, which means no cross promotion um, and all of those things that are important. That's why when we did Undertale and Celeste, it was important for us to work with, you know, those teams so we could do the comics and we could do the stickers and, you know, we could... Uh, have more leeway with the Celeste album. There's, you know, artwork from the game and stuff in the slipcase. So being able to do that kind of stuff, if, if we were to do a Persona album, I would really want to involve Atlas or, you know, I guess Sega now to do something like that. And if they were interested, you know, these albums are, are charting on Billboard. Uh, we should do it. The, the thing is, I feel like a lot of the reasons why they make the decisions to issue a license is obviously money. And if we're not doing this for money, then that makes it a kind of a a challenge, right? It's kind of a competing agenda of us wanting to do it for art, even if it doesn't sell a whole lot, and then wanting to issue a license to make money. So we'd really have to find the right partner, um, a producer for a series or a brand manager who's equally passionate about music and and art and and this kind of stuff to to push something like that forward. I've been tempted to do a Suikoden volume because Suikoden, the Konami RPG series, is my favorite. It's actually where we derive our company name from. Uh, But uh, we'll see. Maybe I'll just break down one day and say, you know what, we're going to do it just because I want it. (laughs) And that's that's a great series, and that's one that still has legs. Like, I'm still surprised how many people are still such big fans of those games. I'm still meeting people who are huge fans. I'm like, where were you when I was growing up when no one was really playing these? And I thought I was the only nerd that was. Mm-hmm. Everybody talks about two, but definitely one is my all time. It's my literally my favorite game of all time. Uh, this is the original Suikoden and uh, the evil empire. So you're familiar with the games. Right. Uh, the evil empire that you're fighting in the first game is called the Scarlet Moon Empire. So that's where that name comes from. But I also kind of like how even with this company, you know, it's still very much independent-minded. And there is something of a punk rock aesthetic to it that I think I really is what I gravitated towards. Because when I first found out about it, the artists were cool. But now knowing the philosophy behind it, I think now... And I don't want to make it like a battle of sorts, but... Something that I've always noticed is as far as, you know, driving like the culture forward, you know, usually the more independent-minded projects tend to have that same spirit. But sometimes flying a little bit under the radar gives you a little bit more freedom to sort of do a little bit more things that I think maybe doing it in certain settings wouldn't allow. If that makes sense? You know, I feel like there's a lot of that in the game music community. I feel like it fosters this sort of 
you know, creative spirit and focus on, you know, what you're really passionate about. And you're going to do your best work when you're doing something you're passionate about. Because anyone can throw money at you and say, make this thing for me so we can include it as a pack-in for our game. But when you really have people doing it, not for any reason other than they really love the material, um, then you get you get a lot of stuff like that. And I think the game music community and all the fan remixes that are out there, and you see them all over YouTube, you see them on websites that have been around for, you know, what, I guess close to 20 years now with Overclocked Remix. I think it was 1999. Has it really been that long? Holy cow. I think so. I just, I just occurred to me as I was saying that. Which is the year when I first got the internet. So it's like, Jesus, it's, I've been following yep. that for that long. Yeah. Thank you, Jason, again, for taking the time out. And it's great chatting with you. And before you go, please let everybody know where they can listen to Prescription for Sleep Celeste, as well as the other volumes and just Scarlet Moon's other great projects in general. Thanks for having me on the program. It's, again, great to finally get to connect and talk to you, you know, one-on-one because, again, sending people your way and emails and text, no replacement for the real thing. Right. Um, so for the series, we actually made a, a sub-website. So you can go to scarletmoon.com slash sleep, and that will um, has a preview video and a purchase link for all seven albums in the series. So. It leads to the Bandcamp page. And so once you're on the Bandcamp page, you can click on the header and see everything else we have too. So uh, that's where that is. We're on, you know, Twitter, Scarlet Moon underscore. And, um, you know, we have a fan mailing list where we uh, send out monthly updates on what we're up to and um, select subscribers at random to receive free download codes and stuff. So if anyone wants to sign up for that, greatly appreciate it. And again, thanks for talking to me and being a fan of the, the series. It means a lot to me. Let's see. I got to pick real quick at least one song to close it out because, again, we got to have at least hear a little bit of taste of this. So of the choices you picked, what would be your definitive go-to song? Heart of the Mountain. There we go. Again, thanks a lot. Check out Scarlet Moon Productions, all the great artists that are involved. And also, as always, like I always just say, of course, support music, support independent music, and also support game composers because it's important too. And thank you guys for supporting me as well. And That'll do it for this episode of Adrian Has Issues, and we will see you next issue. Thank you.